Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning, my message is entitled, Overcoming Mountains of Adversity. Our opening text is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, and verses 2 and 3. And this is from the New Century Version of the Bible. I will go before you, boy, isn't that good to know? And make the mountains flat. Isn't that good to know? I will break down the bronze gates of the cities and cut through their iron bars. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they began their journey to the promised land. Of course, they had to go through the Egyptian desert, to the desert of Sinai, and so on, to get to the final destination, which is Canaan's land, or the promised land. Well, along the way, they encountered many mountains of adversity. Sometimes we just go through this quickly and maybe we don't really focus enough on just what it was that they had to go through. Would you like to leave the comforts of your home and then go through a desert without anything? With nothing whatsoever but the clothes on your back? Well, some of the mountains of adversity include, number one, the heat. In the Egyptian desert, it could be 100 degrees during the day. That would present a very difficult problem. It could be a situation of sun, you know, stroke, elderly people, young people. And at night, it could get as cold as 25 degrees Fahrenheit. Imagine that from 100 degrees to 25 degrees. And of course, hypothermia can set in. So isn't God a good God who brought down those two mountains with a cloud by day and a fire by night? Wow, how ingenious. I mean, we thank God for heat and air conditioning and all that, but that was the original right there, right? And then, of course, as they continued on their journey, um, they also faced wild animals. Sometimes we overlook this, but can you imagine going through that place with wild animals all around you, and yet you're divinely protected? At least you should think that you are, should know that you are, but I don't think they really took it to heart. Because if you recall the venomous snakes that were there, if you recall the Numbers 21 when they were attacked by the snakes and bitten by the snakes, remember that story in Numbers 21? Those snakes were there the whole time. But because of God's grace and hand of protection upon them, they were protected from them. But because they rebelled against God and spoke out against God, and of course, Moses and them. What happened? They were bitten by the snakes. Why? Because he lifted his hand of divine protection. So now we see another situation that's really taking place right there that they don't even recognize as they should. They're protected divinely from the wild animals. And there were different kinds of wild animals, not just the venomous snakes. But they were protected from them by the grace of God, by the hand of God. So whenever they walked out from beneath the grace of God, that's when they opened up themselves to being attacked by the snakes or the whatever that was out there. 
Then, of course, you've got the no food, no water, starvation, dehydration. Then you've got the mountain of adversity when it comes to the giants that were in the land and then the walled cities and all that. So, long story short, we're talking about as they trekked through life, as they journeyed through life, they encountered many mountains of adversity that they had to deal with. Now, those mountains of adversity can be viewed two ways. Number one, they can be viewed as insurmountable obstacles standing in their way. Or they could be viewed as windows of opportunity. It was up to them. It depended on how they saw things. It's like the glass is half empty or it's half full. What kind of an attitude did the people possess? Well, under Moses' leadership, there were insurmountable obstacles that prevented them from entering into the promised land. We know that to be true, for they fell short. And they died in the wilderness. Forty years that they spent in the wilderness. They never made it to the promised land. But under the leadership of Joshua, something else was taught. They were taught that these supposedly insurmountable obstacles can be also viewed as what? Windows of opportunity to watch God at work. And under the leadership of Joshua... As they operated in faith, they were brought into the promised land because, you know what? They recognized something, that the God that they serve, he specializes in leveling mountains. We just read that in Isaiah 45 there. He'll take the mountain and bring it down to a plain. Now, see, man's solution is to bore a hole through it and go through it. But God says, no, I'm just going to lay it on out and make it plain. So you could walk all over it or drive on it, whatever you want to do. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, we know these verses, but let's look at, look at them from these different translations. Our God specializes in leveling mountains. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. So, who, who are you, mountain? What's your name? You're going to become a plain. Look at the uh, next translation. It's from the New Living Translation. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. And then finally, the amplified version of that same verse, or those two verses. Then he said to me this addition of the bowl to the candlestick, causing it to yield a ceaseless supply of oil from the olive trees, is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, of whom the oil is a symbol, says the Lord of hosts. For ye, who are you, O great mountain of human obstacles before Zerubbabel, who with Joshua had led the return of the exiles from Babylon, and was undertaking the rebuilding of the temple before him. You shall become a plain, a mere molehill. 
And he shall bring forth the finishing gable stone of the new temple with loud shoutings of the people, crying grace, grace to it. Hallelujah. Our God specializes in reducing mountains to molehills. And as we trek through life, we all encounter difficult situations and mountains of adversity, don't we? Well, it's good to know that the God that we serve is one who levels mountains and makes them a plain in our lives. And we need to hear this constantly. Why? So that we recognize the fact that as we do our part, God will do his part. And no matter what the mountain is that stands before us, it's no match, not for us, but for our God. It's no match for him. But there's something else that we need to know. God wants us to know that we have our part to play in bringing down the mountains. We have our part to play in it. And we see this in the lives of Moses and Joshua. Under the leadership of Moses, they didn't get into the promised land because those mountains were viewed as insurmountable obstacles. We can't do it. We're grasshoppers. They're strong. They're mighty. Can't overcome something like this. Where on the other hand, what did Joshua and Caleb say at the beginning? This is bread for us. This is nothing. We could do it. God's on our side. Same scenario, same situation, but yet we have two different views. One of unbelief and one of faith. And we want to lean toward the one of faith to avoid being victimized by the one of doubt and unbelief. We want the mountains to be reduced to level plains, right? We don't want obstacles to stand in our way of victory. And so that's what we want to talk about. Now, in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, look at verse 10. This is from the New King James Version of the Bible. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Well... Jesus, if you read the book of Revelation, especially the first three chapters, you discover is all about overcoming. He's all about overcoming and living an overcoming life and not being defeated by life's obstacles and challenges. Seven times in chapters two and three, he said to the seven churches, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh, seven times times. You think he meant that? Obviously, he is saying to the people, look, you can overcome. And to him that overcometh, there's great rewards for those that overcome. He's never said to us that we're not going to be challenged along the way, but he has said to us, you can overcome if we team up together with him. Now, in that verse, we see the accuser of the brethren. There are some today that say, well, Satan can no longer accuse us before the throne of God because he has been defeated by Jesus. I like that, don't you? Uh, also, we can look at it this way. Since, let's say he can't, if that's our position, that he can't accuse us before the throne because of the blood of Jesus, he will come to your door. He'll knock on it. He'll start speaking to you and accuse you directly. Do you realize that? Absolutely. He'll tell you you're not strong enough. You're not powerful enough. You don't have enough ability. 
You can't rise up above it. Look what you did yesterday. He'll attempt to browbeat us with guilt or condemnation, accuse us of all kinds of things. Why? What's his attempt? What he wants to do is to get us to, is to wave the white flag of surrender or throw in the towel of defeat and say, we give up, we can't do it, just like the Israelites under Moses. We can't do it. It's an impossible situation. And we've all been there, haven't we? That you're facing a situation that seemingly is impossible, at least in the sight of men. Trust me, when Andrew was born, there was nothing good about it whatsoever. There wasn't even a ray of hope. There was nothing that they gave us. He's going to die in your arms or in there. Take your pick. That's it. Oh, thanks be unto God that we can look beyond what man can do. And we could trust a Savior, a Redeemer, praise God, who is ever present and ready to do what? Bring deliverance and help in times of our need. What a mountain to face when you hear something like that. And I've had many along the way. But it's so important for us to realize that we don't have to be victimized by these mountains that we face. And we won't be if we recognize who the mountain leveler is is whether it's in our health our finances our families our relationships it could be addictions and the list goes on and on of the different challenges that we face as we sojourn through this life and journey through this life we can overcome he sees us as overcomers as a matter of fact he calls us overcomers but it's up to us to recognize how look at verse 11 so we've got an accuser out there telling us, you're not going to make it. You're not going to win. You might as well throw in the towel. You might as well give up. You might as well surrender. It's too difficult of a situation. You don't have enough faith. You don't, you're not holy enough. You don't walk right. You don't live right. His attention is to get us to a focus on ourselves. But God says, get your eyes off yourself. And look at this. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. Whew. And the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. That verse reveals to us two powerful forces that will bring down the mountains of adversity that we encounter in life. Number one, the blood of the Lamb represents God's part. Number two, the word of our testimony represents our part. So God has a part to play in it, and we have a part to play in it. That's clearly seen. The blood of the Lamb, we have nothing to do with. But the word of our testimony, we have everything to do with. Can you say amen to that? Amen. What is our testimony? What do we testify to? What do we believe? What do we embrace? What are we saying about the situation? Well, let's just start with this. Let's put this in context. We've read this verse over and over, and I'm sure you've used it yourself many times. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Once again, God has made provision for us. And that's the blood covenant that we have based on the shed blood of Jesus. Jehovah Jireh told Abraham, I will provide a sacrifice. Well, thank God he did. 
He provided Jesus for us to overcome the mountains of adversity we face in life. But in the setting, it's talking about these tribulation saints. See, after the rapture of the church takes place and we're out of here, in those seven years of tribulation, people are going to get saved. Why are they going to get saved? Because we're gone. They know it. Maybe they were on the fence. Maybe they were wanting to come to Christ, but they never did come to Christ. But once they saw everybody around them gone, now they come to Christ. So they get saved during this tribulation period. Now they are tempted to turn their backs on God, to walk away from Jesus. Why? Well, we've had a taste of it right now with COVID-19, haven't we? You're not going to be able to buy. You're not going to be able to sell. You can't care for your family. And if you don't take the mark of the beast, well, then you're going to be on the outside. And then you're going to be challenged. Either you renounce Christ or you die a martyr's death. Well, they have to overcome the temptation to do what? Take the mark of the beast. Bow to the devil himself, to his antichrist, and also the world order at that time. And what do they say? No. The blood of the lamb, as far as I'm concerned, is more valuable to me than my own life's blood. They love not their lives unto death is a literal statement. And not just saying, well, I love you more than me. No, no, no. They're saying this, go ahead and take my life. Because you see, the blood that I have in me is only going to get me so far. But when I look to his blood, it's going to take me all the way. <laughs> all the way to glory. So you know what? I'm not going to take your mark. I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to honor the devil, his antichrist. I'm not going to get caught up in the world system. You say, but what if there's nothing to eat, nothing to drink? This body's temporal. It's moving to heaven. That's eternal. They love not their lives unto death. That's exactly what that's talking about. They love not their lives to death. But what does it mean to us today? And that's what we're talking about. See, today it speaks also. Not just then when that's going to take place in the future, but right now it's speaking to us. In Hebrews 12, 24, we are told it speaks better things than that of Abel's. Abel's blood was crying out for vengeance because his brother took his life. But the blood of Jesus speaks volumes beyond that. The blood of Jesus speaks of redemption, deliverance, forgiveness of sins. It speaks of access to the throne of Almighty God. Today. You see, that's going to be for them in the future, but for us right now, it already speaks. Look in the book of Colossians chapter 1. It speaks of our deliverance. It speaks of our trans being transferred to the body of Christ and to the you know, kingdom of God. Giving thanks to the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints' light, who has already delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have now redemption through his blood, even the remission of sins. We're not going to get it. We have it right now. 
We have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven by the blood. Our sins are remitted by the blood. We are cleansed by the blood. Thank God our sin-sick souls came out of the realms of darkness and He transplanted us into His kingdom where we are righteous in God right now. And that's what it speaks of. Well, look at the next verse over there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It tells us that we have access to a place we all want to be. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, how? By the blood of Jesus. The road that leads to the throne of God is paved with the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're redeemed, we're cleansed, we're forgiven, we're delivered, and now we have access to the very throne of Almighty God by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, and that has already been set in place. But look at the next one back in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Let's read this again now, verse 10, because this is for them in the future, but it's also for us right now. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now, salvation and strength and kingdom, the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Well, guess what? We have salvation, don't we? We have strength, don't we? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And the kingdom has come in power in us. And the power of Christ is ours. It's already happened for us. We have it. We have it right now in all of our lives. So what, came, what comes to them in the future we have right now. We have heaven came down and glory filled our souls already. We used to sing that song. Did you used to sing that song way back in the day? Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Heaven has made its way into your soul, praise God, in the person of Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the very Shekinah glory of the living God manifested in these earthen jars of clay that we live in. We are spirit beings. We're not just natural physical beings. We're spirit beings. We have souls and we live in a body. This body, this outward man we know daily is perishing. But the inward man, praise God, every single day is renewed. We have, by the blood of Jesus Christ, all that he has prepared for us to rise up and overcome. What's the problem then? Well, since you asked, number two, the second part of this. There's a part that God has to play in it, and God's part's already done. There's not one more thing he has to do. It's already in place. It's already done. Now, our part is next. The word of our testimony. The word of our testimony. You could say it, the word of my testimony. What is my testimony? What is my declaration? What is my proclamation? What am I saying about what we just read? Look at Matthew 17 and verse 20. We're talking about mountains of adversity that could be viewed as insurmountable obstacles or windows of opportunity. We should view them as windows of opportunity to let the God that we serve show that he is God in heaven and there's none other like him. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, don't you like the way he minces words? He doesn't mince words, does he? Why couldn't we do it? Well, I know you're such a good guy. I don't know why you couldn't. Do it. No, because your unbelief. He just blurts it right on out. For verily, truly, I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this what? Mountain. You shall say to this mountain, 
remove hence to yonder place, and it might, it shall move, and nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing shall be impossible unto you. Whoa. Is that really in the Bible? Is that really something that Jesus said? I just love the way some tried to explain it away. Well, maybe it was just for them at that time or whatever. Come on. He said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it would remove and nothing will be impossible to you. What is he saying? He needs our cooperation. We have got to cooperate with him in this removing of mountains and reducing them to a plain. You saw under Moses they couldn't do it, but then you see under Joshua that they did. You see, this particular experience of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, going into the promised land, is important to know everything about. Paul made that clear to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when he said, look, God wasn't pleased with all of them that came out of Egypt. There are those that died in the wilderness. And then he expounded on the reasons why. He said, this was written for your example so that you can understand how they missed the mark and didn't make it and avoid making the mistake that they made along the way. So, when it comes to our part, what am I saying to my mountain? What am I saying about the mountain? A mountain of adversity stands between me and victory. I can view it as an insurmountable obstacle or I can view it as a window of opportunity and start saying, you are nothing compared to the God that I serve. What might it be? Whatever the situation is, it could be a health issue. It could be a financial issue. It could be a family issue. It could be an issue with our children. Many different situations that arise. It could be a, an addiction or something like that. A habit that's been formed or whatever. And it seems like it's ruling over our lives. But what is he saying? In Proverbs 18 verse 21, here's what he says. Say to your mountain, Why death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. In other words, we eat the fruit of our words. Want a good meal? Anybody want a good meal? Put the word of God in your mouth and you'll get a great meal. Put the word of the devil in your mouth and I guarantee you it will not be palatable. No. You see, God wants us to cooperate by joining forces together with him so that we can bring mountains down and level them, not join forces with the devil so that what? We can fortify the mountains that stand between us and victory. Mm -mm. He wants us to use our words to bring the mountains down. Join forces with him and say what his word says. But I don't feel like it. I know. Neither do I. But it doesn't look like it. I know it doesn't look like it to me either. Let me ask you a question. Did the ten spies see the same thing the other two spies saw? Was there any difference in what they saw? What they heard? What they smelled? What they tasted? What they felt? All the same. But ten of them were full of doubt and unbelief. Two of them said, we can do it. We can do it. 
They're no match for the God that we serve. They're bread for us. We're going to feed on this. You see, our words are important. The words that we speak. And we're not talking about the misunderstanding that exists out there and the name it, claim it bunch or whatever. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what the Bible says about death and life being in our tongue, in our mouth. Now, in the, the book of James, look at this. What we say about things will direct our lives. We move in the direction of our words, in other words. Because James says it right here in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, New King James Version. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So the tongue, he is saying, controls the direction of our lives, just like the rudder controls the direction of the ship. And if we want the ship to go here, there, or wherever, we've got to direct the rudder properly so we can get to where our destination is. Well, if the tongue is as the rudder of the ship and it directs our lives, then what's it saying? We're eating the fruit of our words and we're going in the direction of our tongue. So if our tongue is speaking the wrong thing, we're going in the wrong direction. So if all we're doing is talking about the mountain, how big it is, the problem, how big it is, the situation, how difficult it is, if that's all we do is talk about that, that's the direction that we're going in. And we don't want to go in that direction. We want to go in the opposite direction. But what's going on? We're saying the wrong thing, expecting a right result. And we can't. God wants us to line up with his word, put his word in our heart and mouth and declare it to be true. Look in the book of Numbers, chapter 14. For those that don't believe this, and I challenge them if they don't believe this, read these verses honestly as a Bible, let's say, studier. Tell me what it says. And how can you make an excuse with this? This is from the New King James Version. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this? Evil congregation. Yes, come to our church. We're an evil congregation. <laughs> Hallelujah. Join together with us. And Wow. This evil, and I didn't call him evil, he did. Who complain against me. I have heard the complaints with the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so will I do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, there's the exception, the son of Jephana and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. That's pretty clear, wouldn't you say? Why? Because I'm going to give you what you spoke in my ears. And they spoke those words in his ears over and over. Not a one-time thing. They never got the revelation of it. They never saw God bigger than their mountain. But Joshua and Caleb did. And because they saw their God bigger than the problem, they saw it as a window of opportunity. Remember what Joshua and Caleb said? They're bread for us. Don't rebel against God. Don't speak out against God. They're bred for us. Just say, my God's bigger. Our God's greater. And he can get us in. He will get us in. 
but they, he couldn't get them to do that. Look at now Joshua 14. And here we have the voice of Caleb. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, this is after they came to the promised land under Joshua, the Kenizzite said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to, from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back one word as it was in my heart. That's what he brought back. It wasn't that he saw it. He brought back a word that was in his heart. Nevertheless, my brethren, the other ten spies who went with me, made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. And he said, These forty-five years, ever since the the Lord spake his word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. Happy birthday, Caleb. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, Give me this mountain of which the Lord spake in that day. It's mine. What a difference between we're grasshoppers and we can't do it. I mean, we're just like nobody, nothing. They're big. They're giants. They're insurmountable circumstances. We just can't overcome them. What a difference when Joshua and Caleb... All they do is say, we can. What about us? I can do all things through Christ who is the strength of my life should be our mantra. I can do all things through Christ who is the strength of my life. It's not by power, that is military forces. It's not by might, not human intelligence. But by my spirit, saith the Lord, the mountain will be reduced to a molehill. You've heard the expression, he or she's making a mountain out of a molehill. Well, God wants us to make molehills out of mountains. By using his word in our mouths. Now notice this in Jeremiah chapter 1. To show us the importance of the word being in our mouth in order to cooperate with God to bring down the mountains. Look at the verse. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah saying. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. What's that got to say about when a child begins to exist? Before you were born, I sanctified you. Wow. I set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. This is Jeremiah saying to the Lord, I can't speak for I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say. I wonder what he would say to us. I am a youth. 
Don't make any excuses. Don't put those words in your mouth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Boy, if we had to advertise a meeting like that, come on everybody, line up. The Lord's going to touch our mouths and put his word in it. Wouldn't that be a, a meeting to have? So that all you speak is the word of God. Day and night, speak the word of God. We are so prone to saying the wrong thing. We're so prone to fortifying the mountain of adversity. Why? Because we're programmed in the natural our senses want to dictate and rule our lives. We hear all the reports that's going on, and etc., etc. Look, it. I'm not saying it's not real. What I'm saying is there's a God that's greater than it. You know, all the more we hear about COVID and all the, that's going on, more fear and more fear and more fear. It just, it just breeds more fear. We need to have more meetings like this that we say, but, but, but. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But I can do all things through Christ. But with his stripes I was healed. But the Holy Ghost lives in me to quicken my mortal body and give it life and to give it health. But that mountain is reduced to a plain. In Joshua chapter 1, we'll close here in a moment. Look at what it says in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your ear. Oh, I'm sorry. Out of your mouth. It's one we could hear it constantly. But what's here? What's in the mouth? What's coming out of the mouth from the heart? Remember Joshua? Caleb said, I brought back word as it was in my heart. And that's the key right there. Heart and mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. When? When the word is in your mouth. When the word is in your mouth. And you speak what the word says regardless of the circumstances or the feelings or the emotions or whatever. And trust me, this is not magic. It is a person getting to a place like a Joshua and Caleb saying, I know my God. And they that know their God shall do exploits, Daniel says. I know him. He's on our side. Oh, those mountains, they're big. But they're nothing. They're no match for the God I serve. Look at the next one. Psalm 35, 27, 28. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say once in a while. Let them say, let them what? Say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Wow. Can you imagine if we ever recorded all of our words all the day long and kind of compare them to what lines up with praising God for the victory as, a, as opposed to all the words of we can't do it, we're not going to make it, etc., etc. And finally, in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, mainly the latter part of verse 5 and then all of verse 6. Let your conversation or lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath 
said. Everybody say, God said. said. What did he say? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Isn't that what God said? Why did he say that? So that we may boldly say, the mountain's too big. There is no help. We're not sufficient. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're not equipped enough. We're not, empower- We're not empowered enough. No, that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. He hath said something so that we can say something. See, if he didn't say that, then we don't have a right to say it. But if he said it, he said it so that we could say it. We could put that word in our mouths, our hearts, and just say, the Lord is my helper. Say that with me. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. See, whatever we say must be rooted and grounded in what God has already said. And if God didn't say it, then you know what? We don't have any business saying it. But if God said it, we have every right to embrace it and declare it, no matter how we feel. He said it. I believe it. To be honest with you, we don't even need the I believe it. If he said it, that settles it. Period. Right? Because he's God. How do we cooperate with him? By finding out what he did for us. The blood of the lamb tells it all. And then adding the word of our testimony to it and making it very clear to whatever it is that we're facing that you're nothing but a molehill. You may look big, but to me, you're a molehill. Why? Because I'm comparing you to the backdrop of the living God, the creator of heaven, earth, and sea, and all that in the midst. You're nothing. So as far as I'm concerned, I've got the victory. And what happens? It becomes a plane. Amen? Let's all stand together before the Lord.